1: Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan J. Haraja. And we're back on the College Football Survivor Show, and we're playing off a Shahan tweet. And I was like, oh, that sounds like a show. Doug Maurice, Shahan J. Haraja, quarterback development cycles in the playoff. And Shahan, I think this is how we do this. This is us at our best. We had an idea, and I was like, no, you brought up a topic. I was like, oh, that's good. And now I feel like... I've got a handle on the topic and maybe I can throw some stuff at you. You we're like you're ma- we're making each other think and we're hoping making the listeners think as well. Thanks as always for joining us here on the College Football Survivor show. There is something happening this year in college football in the playoff race which I do think is pretty unusual that we have been dancing around but I am officially ready to bestow a name upon and I'll do that in a little bit, but I want to start with the tweet from you that led us down this road, Shahan. I can read it, or we can just like sort of talk about it, but basically you were sort of saying that this era feels like quarterback cycles and expectations are speeding up in a world where, hey, sometimes it does take a little time. You use Max Duggan at TCU, for example, as a guy that, you know, He was a year four starter by the time TCU makes the national title game last year. Maybe all those bumps and bruises and successes and failures and all that experience along the way helped shape Max Duggan, who drives the bus for the Horned Frogs, all the way to the national title game. But maybe it feels like teams, especially at the top of the sport, are a little less willing, maybe, to let that happen. What what got your brain thinking about this, Shahan?
0: Well, yesterday, uh, you know, obviously people know I'm from the Baylor world. And and yesterday, Baylor named Blake Shapen their starting quarterback. Uh, and Blake Shapin was their quarterback last year. There were moments last year where he looked really good. There were moments last year where he looked kind of terrible. And that happens sometimes with first-year starters. But the reaction to him winning the job over a transfer Sawyer Robertson was Oh, my gosh! Here we go again, right? oh my goodness this is this is this is terrible. This puts a ceiling on our program. We're not gonna be able to do anything uh and one, I mean, first of all, Dave Veranda has proven in the past that if he likes another guy better, he'll bench an incumbent starter last year. Gary Bohannon was pushed out of the program because uh Dave Veranda liked what Blake Shapin gave this program more. but the other thing too i I mean, Blake Shapin first of all has not. Focused on football solely until this past year, he was a baseball player as well. So, like this idea that this redshirt sophomore converted baseball player has no ability to get better at football at any point, especially in a world where you know I, I think that this roster has uh, has potentially made some improvements at some key spots, is just insane to me. And, and then you know you look, I think, around college football right now. Everybody is just so obsessed with the idea of instant gratification. And Trevor Lawrence came in. And he's perfect right away. He wins a national title his first year. Bryce Young, his first redshirt sophomore season uh, or a redshirt freshman season, goes and wins the Heisman Trophy He's the best player in college football. This stuff isn't normal. <laughs> You're not supposed to just do this all the time. Think about some of the greatest players who have come through. Uh, Vince Young wasn't good when he first came to college. A a perfect high school recruit wasn't all that good when he first came to college. There is such an obsession right now with if a guy isn't ready now, then he's not the guy. And that's just completely incompatible with, frankly, how, how college football works and how quarterbacking works.
1: So... I'm going to give my conclusions here at the beginning rather than teasing them to the end of the pod. It's bad podcasting, but I don't care. I looked at the starting quarterbacks in the entire history of the college football playoff, how many were year 1 starters, how many were year 4. I looked at the passing yards coming into that playoff season for every college football quarterback who who made the playoff. My conclusion is this: for the biggest schools, For the teams that we talk about at the top of the sport, Bama, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, Lincoln, Riley, it doesn't matter. Right. Whether your quarterback is old or young, it doesn't matter. You're able to win. For everybody else, developing a quarterback and maximizing them in their last year or at the end of their cycle is a great way to break through. So, and the reason that excites me, Shahan, is because we are barreling straight ahead into that this season. So I do think it's not a surprise. It's like, hey, well, what if Bama does this? Or just? it's like, doesn't right. it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what matter what Bama does. They win with Jalen Hurts in year one. They win with Bryce Young, and you know, not win the National Times, Bryce young, but make the playoff. They win with young guys, and then they also win with older guys. They win with superstars. They win with under the radar guys at quarterback. It doesn't matter. For everybody else, the Max Duggan path, there's a, there are multiple examples you can look at. So I will tell you, I broke it down by in the year that your team made the playoff, were you a year four starter, year three, a year two starter? Were you a year one and a half starter, which to me is like you weren't the full-time starter previously in your career, but you started a few games, played enough to give people an idea? The Caleb Williams, sure. Yeah, or were you a pure year one starter, right, that you basically had done nothing? Here's the breakdown by numbers, the 36 teams, three year four starters, that 17 Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma, it's 2021 Desmond Ritter at Cincinnati, ding, 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 follow that path, and it's 2022 Max Duggan at TCU, ding, 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 ding follow that path, underdog teams. There are six year three starters, including, like, Ian Book at Notre Dame. That's a pretty good way to do it. Marcus Mariota at Oregon's, like, really good, and then peaks, and all of a sudden, here's Oregon in the national title game in 2014. There are nine year two starters. There are four year one-and-a-half starters, and there are 14 year one starters. That's a lot. 14 out of 36 is, it's really your first run. But most of those, and then I combined Year one and a half and year one, there's 18 total. 15 of those 18 are at Bama, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, and Lincoln-Riley. And then the other three are the last two Michigan years that Cade McNamara and J.J. McCarthy were both like year one or year one and a half guys, credit to Jim Harbaugh, And the other one's the first go-round of Ian Book. We have to remember Ian Book and Notre Dame. They made the playoff twice with Ian Book as a starting quarterback. Ian Book is really
0: underrated. (laughs) He deserves a lot more respect, yeah.
1: I, like, want to have him on the show tomorrow. It's, like, (laughs) the most underrated guy of the playoff era. You could probably pull that. (laughs) So, but you're not getting there as anybody who's not in the top tier if your quarterback doesn't have a little experience. So, Baylor, Blake Shapin took the lumps last year. You got to use the lumps. You can't move on from the lumps. The lumps have value. So I think when you look at Marcus Mariota, Desmond Ritter, Max Duggan, Jake Browning at Washington, even Joe Burrow, even Stetson Bennett, right? Some of these, is like, that's how you do it, man. And I think that's what you were trying to remind any program that is really good, but not Bama level. Yo, come on, man. The quarterback's not going to be perfect right away, but don't throw him away after one iffy year
0: because that's you're trying to build value there. No, absolutely, and I think that people are so anxious right now that guys aren't going to stick around and develop, that backups won't stick around and develop. Uh, I mean, not to keep this to Baylor right this second, but you know one one I think really good example is the quarterback who won both of Baylor's Big Twelve titles in the mid twenty tens was Bryce Petty, a guy who sat for four years before he ever got to start a football game. And that's just how it has been before. And then when these guys come in, they're ready. Well, I think that, you know, obviously with the backup carousel, there's there's so much movement. You know, Baylor lost Chiron Drones to the transfer portal and he went to Virginia Tech. They added Sawyer Robertson after uh, after Mississippi State kind of lost all of their quarterbacks and and he comes in. And so I think that people are very afraid that uh, that guys won't stick around, that players that maybe they like, who they think have upside, won't wait their turn in any sort of way. And, and I get it. I mean, I think that you look around college football, every backup right now, it feels like is, is angling for a starting job somewhere else. I do think, though, that this is just such a moment where every quarterback thinks I'm going to end up in this perfect other situation. Everything's going to work out great for me. And every program is looking like, we're just like a quarterback away and that guy is clearly transferring right now, which is usually just not the case. You know, I, I think a great example of this is Ole Miss. Ole Miss, you know, they br- uh, they bring in Jackson Dart last year and guess what? Jackson Dart's going to fix all of our problems. And Jackson Dart wasn't very good last year for Ole Miss. So they brought in two more quarterbacks. They brought in Walker Howard, who thought he was going to compete for the starting job. And then they bring in Spencer Sanders ahead of those guys. And like, Maybe none of these guys are gonna be good for Ole Miss. We don't even know at this point. So there's there's just such movement. But I think that I think that again, this is like the feeding frenzy at the beginning. I think eventually guys are gonna realize being in three different systems in four years is not actually good for me as a football player, for me to develop, for me as a quarterback, and things are gonna settle down. But you're you're not going to fix those answers by constantly throwing out one guy for the next guy. You know, this this was kind of the center of the uh the Quinn Ewers-Arch Manning discussion. You know, everybody was like, Arch is going to come in because Quinn wasn't all that awesome last year. And he's going to fix things. Well, like, Quinn Ewers was rated even higher than Arch Manning and wasn't all that good in his first year. He was inconsistent. Do you think that Arch Manning's going to come in after not practicing at the college football level his entire life and suddenly be better? Then a guy rated the same level who still struggled as a freshman it's just not normal for somebody to come in unless and again I think that you know when you talk about the Alabama Georgia Ohio State Lincoln Riley thing you're talking about a perfect supporting cast you're talking about a perfect situation that a quarterback can step into where the game really isn't on them you know for example Carson Beck george is going to be good whether or not carson beck's any good next year uh I, I think that he has a chance to be really good i think that he can elevate that team but george is not going to suddenly go seven and five if carson beck struggles like that's just not how it works and for most programs that's not the case you need your guy to succeed and be put in good situations i agreed with 65
1: percent of that and there's a 35 percent chunk that i disagreed with and we'll get to that next on the college football survivor show
0: To your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line.
1: So, Shahan, the thing that I think I am the most interested in for teams under tier one is quarterback experience. But I'm not sure I care where the quarterback got it, whether it was in your system with your program or not. So, the Spencer Sanders example. I, that if that's like a negative for Old Miss, I don't think I agree with that because I have four examples (laughs) of, of like, well, I think it's going to work somewhere else. And I, I made a group and I named it. And now I almost feel like I should throw Spencer Sanders in the group. It would be like you have a band and then this guy's like kind of the guy who plays on the side, but he's not really part of the band, but he's, he's usually with them, you know, but he's like the, like the second guitarist. He's kind of off to the side. So that's where Spencer Sanders would be in the group that I am calling the Forever Five because there's five starting quarterbacks heading into this college football season that I think have a chance. Man, I wish we had a 12-team playoff this year (laughs) because I think all five of these guys would make the playoff if we had a 12-team playoff. Instead, it feels like they're fighting five guys, five teams for like one spot, maybe two. But we have five starting quarterbacks coming back Who are going to be either, I just told you there have only been of the 36 starting quarterbacks in the playoff, three have been fourth-year starters. I have four guys who are going to be fifth-year starters and another guy who's going to be a fourth-year starter. And all have a great chance at the playoff, I think. But four of those five are transfers. So I like that these programs have experienced guys, but all the experience isn't with them. So you know the five I'm talking about. Do you want it like I'll bring them out on stage? (gasps) Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Forever Five. And now you can introduce them individually. All right, uh, you've got Bo
0: Nix at Oregon. That is correct. uh, You said him first, so he's a lead singer. Oh no! Well, then take him off stage and put Sam Hartman instead. He's the lead singer. <laughs> okay, Bo Nix is like Bo Nix is the guy who gets to sing like twenty percent
1: of the songs he, in his own head. He's a lead singer. Okay. Yes,
0: yes, yes. uh <laughs> So, so you got Sam Hartman, you got Bo Nix, you got Michael Penix Jr. Uh, over at Washington. Who, um, who am I forgetting? uh
1: It's okay. It's the drummer and the bass guitarist. It's fine.
0: It's, <laughs>
1: I don't want to put you on the spot. We we, we threw – oh, obviously, Jordan Travis over at Florida State. Jordan Travis at Florida State. He's the only guy that, that – well, he is a transfer, though, actually. So it's five for five. Yeah, yeah.
0: But he's been at Florida State for a while. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then of course, uh, in the last spot, you've got Spencer Sanders now.
1: Well, Spencer Sanders is still off to the side because Jaden Daniels at LSU has his oh, spot. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: So – so, so my big five, right. So, and actually, I forgot that Jordan Jordan Travis started at Louisville but has been in Florida State for four yeah. years now. So he's not yeah. the same thing as Sam Hartman coming in right. for year six at Notre Dame. But they none of them started at their programs. But Jordan Travis at Florida State, Jaden Daniels at LSU, Michael Penix at Washington, Bo Nix at Oregon, Sam Hartman at Notre Dame. Travis is a fourth-year starter this season. The other four are fifth-year starters. And they are all, I think, to me – All that Auburn experience, Oregon gobbles that up without having to go through it. All that Indiana
0: experience, Washington gobbles it up without having to go through it. Do you really want to gobble up that Indiana experience? Has anybody ever asked to gobble up Indiana experience? So so let
1: me ask, though. Do you believe Michael Penix, what he did at Indiana, has helped him in any way with the way he's performed at Washington? Or do you think he... Would have been better off for the same, you know, sort of sitting on the bench at Washington until he got his chance to go crazy last year. Because the thing is, now listen, Indiana had a really good COVID year. They yeah. did. Yeah. Fueled yeah. by Michael Penix diving for a touchdown. So that's sort of because I do think in trying to put some of this in categories, there's the schools that win no matter what. Which is the same school at the top of sport that we all know. Young quarterback, old quarterback, doesn't matter. You win no matter what. Then there sort of is maybe, maybe like trying to win to some degree while you develop the guy to be awesome. And then there's also like just taking your lumps and maybe having some rough years on the way to getting a veteran quarterback who's going to perform in a great way. To me, if you can have your quarterback take a decent amount of his lumps somewhere else and then get kind of a finished product, which again, I, It's not like Oklahoma State hasn't been good. My gosh, Oklahoma State nearly made the playoff two years ago with Spencer Sanders as a starting quarterback. So, like, this guy has performed at a high level. But I – when you look at what Oregon and Washington and Notre Dame and LSU especially have done with these quarterbacks, isn't it a model? Now, if you do it yourself and you have two or three years where the guy's learning the ropes as the starter and then he develops into that, great. Jordan Travis was one year at Louisville, has been at Florida State since then. He's much more like that. But are you anti go get sort of like the finished product quarterback who has all the experience that he gained somewhere else? Or are you against that?
0: So, no, I'm definitely not against that. Absolutely not. I think that that has been a, a process to success. I do think that there is some context with some of these players. Right. So one being Michael Penix and Bo Nix both played for their offensive coordinators previously in their careers, right? Michael Penix played for Kalen DeBoer at Indiana back in 2019. was really pretty good that year. And uh, Bo Nix played for Kenny Dillingham as a freshman. And now Kenny Dillingham is gone, of course, but you expect it's going to be kind of similar under Will Stein. And certainly the program knows what he can do at this point. I think the other thing that makes this whole thing interesting is the COVID waiver. Because for example if Michael Penix or Bo Nix did not play in 2020, they'd be out of eligibility. And this would have been a one-year thing. And last year was amazing for both of those players. It was really nice. But does it hit the same if you do kind of have to do all of this in one year? Like, I, you know, we'll see what happens with Sam Hartman. I think Sam Hartman's incredible. But, like, they only get one year of him. And if he has a really good year... Maybe in another life that sets up an amazing year the next year, but what if you only have that one year? Right. Like I, th- I think that that is a, that's a short timeline to be able to achieve something. Now there's exceptions, right? I, I think if I remember right, Jalen Hurts only had that one year at Oklahoma and he took them to the college football playoff and finished number two in the Heisman voting. Of course, like we talked about, he's a Lincoln Riley quarterback. You kind of have to judge it on a different scale, but he did it and obviously he was extremely good and it turns out he's extremely good at the next level too but I think that that's sort of my one reservation because as opposed to a Jordan Travis who you know obviously did start somewhere else but spent multiple years in the system now he's going to be a sixth year college football player Uh, I I think that I, I think that there's value to it so for example if you can take a player who's maybe uh, you know, maybe use two years of eligibility and bring them in and have two years with them, I think that I feel a lot better about that than the idea of let's just toss a guy in and fill a hole and, uh, and assume that he's going to have everything figured out from day one. Because I do think that it's a big process to just get somebody ready right away. So I, I do think
1: the COVID year, that's why this is happening. I think that's it's not that we can say hey that's like you know what you know what your good your plan should be have a fifth year starting quarterback <laughs> who who came in as a transfer from somewhere right. else and you i like what would be the perfect scenario maybe for some of these tier 2 teams and again tier 2 is a great tier because tier one is Bama, Georgia. It might only be Bama, Georgia, but it's probably like Bama, Georgia, Clemson at its best, Ohio State, and wherever Lincoln-Riley is. That's probably tier one in college football. Yeah, yeah, Tier two is right below them. So I think maybe the ideal thing would be if there was a guy who redshirted at his first school in year one and then started in year two and year three, and then has come into your place as a third year starter with two years of eligibility, Yeah, it's act- which is actually like the Joe Burrow model. It's yep, yep. practically perfect. Yep. That's Except Joe Burden started Ohio State, but like you had an idea that he was going to be good, right? That So it's much different. The thing that I might stay away from if you're a tier two team is the Jackson Dart example, which is like, hey, this guy went somewhere else. And it kind of he was a big time recruit and it kind of went a little goofy. But then we took him and I don't know,
0: like it. The, the, the Walker Howard model that they're trying again.
1: Yes, but the Spencer Sanders yeah, model is yeah. much more like the Bo Nicks, Michael Penix, Sam Hartman. We know this guy's good. Now, can he even elevate with us if we think that we have more skilled talent, have a better offensive system, whatever. But we, th- we know what he is. So I do think from a program perspective, if I am a Tier 2 team, I think I either want to develop a quarterback and and if you're playing him early it's a long game or if i can get a veteran starting quarterback who has been developed somewhere else and is ready to go so, but what you can't do is get trapped in i would try a guy he's out we try a guy he's out we try a guy he's out and never get the upside of the experience. Somewhere along the line, you have to, if you're a tier two team, you have to get the upside of experience, whether it was your own lumps or somebody else's. And I I think we see that this year in such an unusual way. And in and I have one more stat that I'll drop here in a second, but but that cycle, right? So Blake Shapin, Baylor, like, let's do this, right? But if Sam Hartman had come to Baylor, I don't know. I guess you'd go with Sam Hartman like that. Y- you know what I mean? And I, But I do agree with you. The difference between getting a, a transfer, an experienced transfer who's going to be your starter for one year or for two years is is a very big difference because then you get somebody else's lumps and your own lumps. That you develop him in your way, and Oregon and Washington kind of got lucky with the COVID stuff that this happened, and both Penix and Knicks could have gone to the NFL even though they had the COVID year, and both chose not to. Is that right? <laughs> like, where, like, what, where are you on the lump taking process?
0: No, no, I think that that's definitely true. The other thing that I'll mention though is like, uh, you know, you mentioned Sam Hartman. Sam Hartman was like a top five quarterback in college football last year. Like he wasn't just a very good player. He wasn't Bo Nix at Auburn. He wasn't Michael Penix at Indiana. He was like, he's more like a Drake May at North Carolina where he's already awesome. You know, with these other guys, you're hoping that putting them in a different context, that them taking their lumps can kind of help elevate what they are you're not hoping that Sam Hartman can elevate what he is. You're hoping that he can replicate what he's been for multiple years at this point. So I think that's a slightly different situation. That's, you know, why I kind of identified uh, him as maybe being the frontman of the group. Cause I think that he is like that guy. Uh, whereas the other guys were more, let's take a chance on this guy. It, you know, I think that there's such a difference between somebody who wants to elevate themselves versus somebody who has already elevated themselves. And so, um, but no, I mean, I think, for example, you know, it's, it's kind of unfortunate. I wish that this was, like you said, the 12-team playoff world, because I don't think Notre Dame's making the playoff. But, like, I think the Sam Hartman thing's going to be great, and I wish that they got two years of him.
1: Do you have any hesitation in your mind? They lose Drew Pine. They lose Tyler Buckner. They lose both quarterbacks from last year who were pretty good recruits, especially your guy Tyler Buckner, on the way in. The decision to get Sam Hartman cost them both. They yep. knew it would cost him Drew Pine, and then they have the spring, quote, competition, but we all knew it was going to be Sam Hartman. But you can't be shocked that Tyler Buckner went to Alabama. Worth it? Or is there any chance that Notre Dame will regret this, even if Sam Hartman's really good this year and Notre Dame has a nice year, but as you said, they play clubs in USC and Ohio State. The playoff path is very difficult. Was there a risk here for Notre Dame? Because, again, You look at Bo Nix staying at Oregon, Dante Moore flips from Oregon to UCLA. Sam Heward, in his recruiting class in the class of 2021, was the number three quarterback recruit in the country at Washington. They dropped Michael Penix on his head as a transfer as excuse from Indiana. He transfers out to Cal Cal Poly. Like you do, there is an opportunity cost with your own quarterback development when you bring in kind of finished products. But for schools like Oregon, Washington, Notre Dame, is that worth it? Or is, are they missing out on something that a place like TCU got when you let Max Duggan work it out? And by the way, they tried to do it. They, actually, they also actually <laughs> did to Max Duggan what we're talking about. They brought in Chandler yeah. Morris as a transfer, except did he get hurt? No, he got hurt he got or hurt. he just lost the job. He got, hurt, he got hurt. Max Duggan takes over. So actually, even the biggest success story of let Max Duggan work it out, they didn't mean to. They wanted the transfer to take his job. And then it turns out by accident, after the injury, all the Max Duggan experience leads to national title game, second place finish in the Heisman for a guy that was in a year for his They saw Max Duggan for three years and were like, uh. <laughs> right at the moment when they should have maximized all of that. Maximized. Ooh. Right. The t-shirt market, that's, we missed it. It's over. Great. Thanks for bringing that up now. We'll we'll
0: send it to the Chargers. Don't worry.
1: (laughs) Like, but they, they went through all of that. And of course, when you bring in a new coach, that's part of it too. But it is funny, Shahan, like we're, we're citing Max Duggan is like, see, that's (laughs) what you can get. If you're patient and TCU didn't want to be, but they were forced to be, and it worked out perfectly. So what do we think here?
0: No, I mean, it's it's a good question, and it's one that we haven't really had to answer as yet, because these guys haven't graduated out yet. We haven't had to see the futures yet. So I do feel like at Notre Dame specifically, uh, just to talk about their situation, you know, they lost Buckner, they lost Pine. Um, you know, I think that those are big losses. They do have two other scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. They've got CJ Carr coming in next year. I, I think that they have a pretty good pipeline, despite who they lost. Um, I I do think that it is worth at least acknowledging that both of those other guys weren't brought in by Marcus Freeman and weren't brought in now by this current offensive coordinator. I think that's a little bit of context at least. Uh it doesn't explain away everything, it doesn't excuse everything. But you know, Steve Angeli was a was a big-time recruit for them. Kenny Minchie, this this upcoming year, you know, was a top 170 recruit. So like I think they've got enough guys and I think they feel good enough about the appeal of playing quarterback at Notre Dame right now with this system Uh, and I think that they also frankly feel like Sam Hartman maybe gives them the ability to elevate the way that people see them as a quarterback destination at least that's what I think so I think that trade-off will be worth it I think similarly for Washington right they had a horrendous offense <laughs> under John Donovan and uh, and the previous staff they bring in uh, Michael Penix to to kind of jump in line ahead of some of these other pretty good recruits who were there, and you're seeing what a quarterback can do now uh, in Kalen DeBoer's system. I think that's probably going to be more attractive long term than if they had just stuck with one of their guys and let them develop. Now, again, we haven't seen this. Th- this is like the brave new world of it. You, you will kind of, I think, figure out pretty early whether or not this is working. And again, I, I point to, I point to Ole Miss because. You know, I I think Spencer Sanders is very good. I don't think he's somebody that I would be obsessed with the idea of throwing him into the SEC and thinking he's going to save you. I I don't necessarily think that he's that kind of player. Uh, And I think that's kind of and also he's dealt with injuries and and all this sort of stuff. I'm a big Spencer Sanders fan. I just don't think he's a transformative player necessarily. And then you're in a position where you're like, okay, well. Like, are you going to keep Walker Howard happy? Is Jackson Dark going to develop? Like they are just, it it just feels like they're playing roulette with like, with their quarterback situation and their only high school recruit at the time, Luke Altmaier left, right? Now he's potentially going to start at Illinois. So I, I feel like I'm fine with the Notre Dame model of having a process in place. Like you have to have a pipeline, man. Like you just do. And if you're in a situation where, all right, well, Spencer Sanders is out of eligibility, but you know, one or more of these backups decided that they don't want to be with this program anymore. Like it it can be really, I think, damaging long term. And this isn't something that just hurts you the next season. This is something that can hurt you for years afterwards.
1: Do you think
0: generally,
1: COVID year stuff out, but just going forward, seeing things like the Arizona State quarterback transfers to LSU. But multiple year starter at Arizona State transfers to LSU. That's Jaden Daniels. The Indiana quarterback, multiple year starter, transfers to Washington. That's Michael Penix Jr. The Auburn quarterback, multiple year starter, transfers to Oregon. That's Bo Nix. The Wake Forest quarterback, multiple year starter, transfers to Notre Dame. Is that going to be a model now? Where? All right. Tier 1. Tier 1. You want to develop your guys. Right? That's really the plan. Ohio State USC, Alabama's doing it, but not from strength, from desperation by bringing in a transfer here. They'd rather develop their guys, Georgia, right? Tier one still develops more often than not, although, you know, Justin Fields came in and saved Ohio State as a transfer to start the Ryan air. So, but more often than not, the plan tier one, recruit five-star guys and develop them. Will the plan at tier two be take multi-year starter transfers from year from tier three, three and four schools that Arizona State and Wake Forest and Auburn and Indiana are now feeding teams. And then those teams have to be like, oh, oh well, that guy, what? That guy's going to make the playoff? Like, he was pretty good here, but we never felt like a playoff team when that guy was here. Is that part of the new model in the portal
0: world? do you think? And if it is, do you think it's smart or not? So the the thing that I'd point to with all of the transfers that we've talked about is I think that all of those transfers had reached their ceiling at their programs. I don't think that Jaden Daniels was accomplishing anything more at Arizona State. Uh, You know, for, for Sam Hartman, the question was not about his ability as a college football player. It was nothing to do with Wake Forest. I mean, they they played the ACC title game at Wake Forest. That's crazy, right? Like Jim Groban walked through that door and they still managed to do it. And I think that the reason that he transferred was not because he didn't love Wake Forest or whatever, but it was because he wanted to play in a, a more of a pro-style system to prove what he could do for the next level. So I think there are going to be examples of this. I don't think, for example, uh, you know – let's let's take uh let's take i don't know not not Oregon Oregon's a bad example but you know let, let, let's take uh you know maybe some of these tier 3 programs um let, let's take north carolina right i think that drake may has plenty left to accomplish at north carolina i think that he can win the acc this year i think that's possible and I think that uh I think that for those guys who have something left to accomplish, it's going to be less of a question. Guys who can win at this high level, guys who can compete for the playoff, even if they don't win in the playoff. I, I don't think that those guys are going to leave. It's the people who are in situations where they're outstanding, they're developing, they have opportunities. But man, I just can't get past eight and four. Like, I just can't get past nine and three. I can't legitimately compete for the conference with what we have here. I think that those are more the programs where maybe you start having those conversations.
1: Let's take a guy. And I, and I don't like doing this in certain situations because like, these are real people. These are their real lives. You get one shot at this. So to, to play like the, Hey, like what's the transfer game. It's not the same as putting an NBA player in a trade machine where you're getting your gazillion dollars, no matter who you play for. But I'm doing this from strength for a guy like this guy, like, Jalen Daniels at Kansas last year. How dare you? Oh, my gosh. How dare you? I know. One of the best stories in college football helps lead that revival, gets hurt late in the year. like That certainly affects Kansas in the second half of the season. He's back at Kansas this year, right, as a fourth-year starter, but he's going to have that COVID year. So should we anticipate, assume, wonder about the idea that – Jalen Daniels might be the starting quarterback for a playoff contending Florida state team in 2024 or like, like good team X that's looking for a one year dude that just lost their quarterback and all the lumps that he took at Kansas that Kansas took with him that did pay off for Kansas, right? All that, that in year five with a COVID year, Four years start, he'll go be a fifth year starter somewhere else. That fits the examples, I think, of what we're talking about. That feels possible to me. And I'm not afraid to talk about it because to me, that would be like a congratulations, Jalen Daniels, and even Lance Leipold. I don't know what you're supposed to do, right? I guess pat the guy in the back and say, thanks for everything you've done here. But if you have a chance to go make the playoff, no matter how great of a story Candace is, that's probably not going to happen. Like, do we, are we going to be on the lookout for that? And do you think right now there are coaches out there? at at a second at a tier two team that they're like hey man like what do we think a quarterback's choice is going to be next year they're
0: like no i got it (laughs) watching a lot of big 12 games this year but we're good we're good you know who should be paying out of the wazoo to to have that happen is uh not wazoo but uh is ucla he's from la i think that he would be like an even i don't want to say an even better dorian thompson robinson because that's like so unfair but like Oh boy, he would be a lot of fun uh, doing all that sort of stuff. So I think I think that this is a good example, right? This is, I think, kind of that stretch case. If Kansas goes 4-8 and eight this year and it's kind of like, well, like 2022 was fun and we got back to a bowl and everyone was excited about that, but like I didn't like fundamentally transform what we're doing here in this moment, then maybe you kind of feel like, ugh, all right, if they make it back to a bowl game, if they feel like they have a chance to maybe win like eight games for the first time since 2008 uh, or 2007, like I, I think that that's enough for, for Jalen Daniels to stay. Right. The, the idea of like I can do stuff here that people haven't done in a long time and I'm going to be remembered here for a long time if we get to do those things. But, you know, if it doesn't look like that's going to happen in 2024, for example, then yeah, maybe that is a conversation to be had. I I think it's going to be a balance, right? Because there are things worth accomplishing in college football, of course, that aren't just making the playoff, that aren't just winning the national championship. And uh, especially if you're at a place like Kansas. I mean, they they made a bowl game at Kansas this year. That's crazy. So the, the question is, I think, since he does have up to two years left, can he do more than that? Does he feel like he can do more than that? And if he feels like the answer is no, which is a totally fair answer, and I don't think anybody at Kansas would begrudge him if he just spent one year elsewhere, you know, then yes, I think that's maybe a conversation to have.
1: So the best examples here, let's talk about now, like developing it yourself, Right. So the fourth-year quarterbacks, again, the fourth-year starters in the playoff. Baker Mayfield, 17. Desmond Ritter at Cincinnati in 21. Max Duggan at TCU, even though it was in the back door, in 22. The year three guys, Marcus Mariota in 14. Connor Cook at Michigan State in 15. I think it's a really good example here. JT Barrett at Ohio State in 16. Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma with all his Alabama experience in 19. Trevor Lawrence as the guy at, at Clemson in 20. And then Ian Book at Notre Dame in 20. The funny thing about Connor Cook is they, the big game they won in 2015 to win at Ohio State, he was hurt and didn't play. So it was like, all that Connor Cook experience led them to the playoffs. Like, oh yeah, they won with a backup that night, but still like he's, but I think Ritter is the best example. And I think like that whole thing, we talked about it. We saw the possibility in 2021 because everybody saw the possibility. You saw that Cincinnati team grow up together. You saw Sauce Gardner and you saw Kobe Bryant and you saw that whole defense. And then you bring in Jerome Ford as a transfer running back from Alabama. And you have uh what's the receiver guy that got drafted by Indianapolis and everybody that was really good? What was that guy's name? I can't remember his name. Their number one receiver in twenty one. Is it Pierce? No, I'm stupid. I can't remember. But the thing that you saw was Desmond Ritter at the front of it because you as Alec Pierce. That that's who we're thinking of. As great as that Cincinnati defense was, I think if you didn't attach a quarterback that you believed in to that process, you would have been like, well, great. Maybe they're going to hold a bunch of people down, but they're going to lose to anybody good. They're going to lose 20 to 17 because they can't score. And it was like, no. Desmond Ritter went through it. And we saw it when they played George in the bowl game the year before. Like there was a there was an absolute process in place. And so I think in the end, and they never gave up on that. They didn't get to the Max Duggan part and say, ah, like that was their guy. (laughs) And it took a long time, but what a payoff. I do think the transfer model is real for some of these tier two schools. But I think maybe for the tier three schools who hope that like your absolute peak bumps you into year one for a year. And that's what we're talking about with Cincinnati. I think that's the model. And then the question would be, in this day and age, is Desmond Ritter at Ohio State, right? Is Desmond Ritter at Georgia or Alabama by his final year because Cincinnati couldn't hold on to him. But if you can do that, that still is a great model for the lower tier two, tier three kind of programs, except now the danger is you can't keep that guy on campus when he's about to peak.
0: Well, I think, though, here's the flip side. I mean, obviously, Desmond Ritter, uh, you know, he didn't leave. And they had a chance to make the four team playoff, which is just astonishing, right? Like that's crazy at Cincinnati. Well, now I think that something that can be transformative for a tier three program is you only have to be top 12, right? Like you only have to find a way to be a top 12 team. A uh, good example, Kansas State this past year, right? Like maybe in another universe, Will Howard isn't thinking about sticking around. Well, th- they're going to be playing for for a top 12 seat, right? They're going to be playing. Obviously, they won the Big 12 last year. Like, I think that these are the kind of players who now have something that they can strive for at their original programs. And I do think that is potentially going to be transformative. It's it's really the schools, I think, that are working between that five to eight win range that are probably going to be most affected by this transfer wheel. I I think that the teams that have 10 win upside, which – is more teams than I think people realize, Uh, especially once you get outside of the SEC, where I think that there's such a glut at the top, and even the Big Ten, where, like, who's getting past that top three right now, right? Like, I I think that when you look at the ACC and uh, you know, 20, uh, I can't remember exactly how the rankings work themselves out, but, like, in 2021, like, maybe Wake Forest would have had a chance to make the college football playoff with Sam Hartman. Uh, You know, I I think that these things matter, and these things are going to help, And that's one of the reasons that I, you know, I mean, I've talked it to death. That's one of the biggest reasons I am a proponent of this 12-team playoff. I think it is going to be really good for the sport. And also, by the way, you know, I I mentioned them as one of the schools that I think could be most transformed by the 12-team playoff. Like, being the quarterback at SMU right now might be awesome you know, being the quarterback at Tulane right now might actually be awesome. Michael Pratt might have a chance to play in the college football playoff if he sticks around through 2024. And he had opportunities to leave this offseason, according to a lot of reports, including for SEC jobs. And so I, I think that it's going to happen. I think that a lot of teams too are going to try to transform themselves and think, oh, well, this guy that we identify is going to be our Michael Penix. And there's going to be some teams that are going to fall flat on their face when they try that. Like, they just are. And so I think that this is this is a model. I don't think that we're going to get to the point where this is the model, at least in the near future. Bottom line, the very, very top of the sport,
1: you can win with any kind of quarterback. Everybody else experience helps. And then it's just a matter of how do you get that experienced quarterback? Do you develop them yourself? Do you steal someone else's experience? But I think we have proof that experience helps, which is why this season is going to be super interesting. We'll dive back at into that again next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. that all the playoff quarterbacks had coming into their playoff season. So how many passing yards do they have under the belt? I was going to do like career starts, but sometimes that's harder to find. It's like you got to go in the bio and it's like, I started five games. So I just did passing yards. So, you know, it's just a stand in for experience. Baker Mayfield in 17 had the most. He had 9,980 passing yards coming in to that season Mm -hmm. That's crazy. (laughs) So I will say Sam Hartman right now has 12,967. So he has 3,000 more than the most experienced quarterback who has ever made the playoff. Also, Bo Nix has 10,844. So he also has more than any other playoff quarterback ever. So which also is saying it's not that Baker Mayfield had the most passing yards ever. It's a lot of those other super experienced quarterbacks didn't make the playoff because their teams weren't good enough. So like we're acknowledging that, right? So that's
0: part of this too. Here this is this is a very quick aside. So, like, how how are we going to treat this stuff with like the college football record books and stuff? Like this this kinda sucks, right? The fact that a guy gets to start potentially five years and, and try to break some of these records, like that, that's not the same thing, right? I know. Stupid
1: COVID. Not only did it shut down the world for 18 months, it also screwed up the college football record books.
0: I know, I know. Like like you said, you know, Washington, like you said, uh, has to be really excited that COVID happened because now they got a good quarterback for a couple of years. But but I guess there were downsides too.
1: Yeah, no, so I don't know. Is there a COVID asterisk? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But yes, but it, like everything's going to be thrown off. So you think about that, both Knicks and Hartman, more passing yards than any playoff quarterback. Okay, second on the list is Trevor Lawrence coming in to his third year at Clemson, had 6,945. Michael Penix, no, well, Jaden Daniels at LSU has 8,937. So he would have more than anybody in playoff history except Baker Mayfield. And Michael Penix has 808, 8,838. So he also would be second to Baker Mayfield. So these four guys at the top, who are all fifth-year starters, they have more career passing yards coming into this season than any quarterback that made the playoff Other than Baker Mayfield, the year he won the Heisman. And then Jordan Travis has 5,959 career passing yards coming in for Florida State. That would be seventh on the list right now. The most experienced guys, 2017 Mayfield, 2020 Trevor Lawrence, 2021 Desmond Ritter, 2014 Marcus Mariota, 2020 Ian Book, 2015 Connor Cook. Those are the six guys who had more than 6,000 career passing yards and then made the playoff in that next season. There have been 13 quarterbacks who had fewer than 1,000 passing yards coming into their season and then made the playoff. But I'll give you the four who had none. JT Barrett in 2014, Braxton Miller's arm falls off two weeks before the season starts. He had redshirted the year before after an ACL tear in in high school. Had never played college football. He's the starter. And then, by the way, they end up playing Cardale Jones in the playoff. He had three passing yards coming into that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> jt barrett had zero Cardell jones had three
0: and they led ohio state to the national title remember when red shirting used to mean that you didn't play at all that's crazy man. yeah what, what an arcane uh, what an arcane way of college football man
1: jalen hurts in 16 zero obviously jake Fromm in 17 not the planet georgia Jacob Eason gets hurt. Jake Fromm, as the true freshman, comes in, winds up playing. He had zero. And Trevor Lawrence, as the true freshman in 2018, not the starter at the beginning of the year, takes over for Kelly Bryant. He had zero. So a lot of these guys, Bryce Young had 156 yards coming in. One of the the crazy examples, Blake Sims in 2014 for Alabama, who, again, is like the craziest probably playoff quarterback that we've had, had 244 passing yards coming into that season, just an absolute in-between. Bama's like, who are we going to play? And Blake Sims is like, I'll do it. And they're the number one seed going in. And everyone's like, they're going to kill Ohio State. And that was their quarterback. But they just forgot to give the ball to the running backs as much as they should have. So anyway, Shahan, like this, I just want to emphasize, again, this group of five, for a lot of reasons, including COVID, is nuts. We we have – I want everyone to be prepared for this, Shahan, because we've talked about it a lot. But I just want to – I want to crystallize the lack of experience – at the three big programs. Carson Beck looks like he's going to win the job at Georgia, 486 career passing yards. Kyle McCord looks like he's going to win the job at Ohio State, 606 career passing yards. Alabama, Tyler Buckner, the Notre Dame transfer, 949. Ty Simpson, 35. Jalen Milroe 338. One of those three guys is going to be the Alabama starting quarterback in a reality where we just named five guys who have at least 6,000 yards or Travis is close, the other guys have more than eight. It's such a gap, but you want to do this. Let's look at the Heisman odds you said to sort of figure this out. So there are three categories of quarterbacks for this year. And so I'm going to say the Heisman odds and the quarterback, and you tell me whether the program that quarterback is at, should they try to replicate what they're doing with this quarterback? All right. First one is Caleb Williams. He's five to one at USC. I'm calling him a normie. There's a couple normies on this list, which is like you're a multi-year starter and like your career is kind of normal. Now, he started in Oklahoma, but that's like a Lincoln Raleigh. He's Lincoln Riley's quarterback. <laughs> so he's a normie five to one. Can USC replicate the Caleb Williams path?
0: Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yes, they can. And you think they will like this is this is their future, right? Yeah, they, well, you know, they, I think that Lincoln Riley, especially, I mean, obviously he had that run where he was just constantly adding transfers and look at the transfers that available. It makes sense why he did. But, you know, I think that, I think that late in there, late in his tenure there, you started to see that he was identifying these guys early. Obviously Caleb Williams, you know, you could say is the first homegrown quarterback that succeeded for Lincoln Riley, but He identified Malachi Nelson really, really early on. Like he was actually committed uh, back to Oklahoma when Lincoln Riley was at Oklahoma, and he never wavered. He never went after Arch. He never did any of this other stuff. So I think that Malachi Nelson is next in line. I'm sure he's going to find his 2025. I'm sure he's going to find, you know, but he's done a good job, I think, of of timing out these quarterbacks.
1: Jordan Travis at Florida State is 10 to 1. Again, he's a he's going to be a fourth year starter, started his career at Louisville. Is this like a Florida state must maximize this. Cause who knows when they're going to have a quarterback like this again, or like, like what do you think about Jordan Travis Florida state can learn or they're going to have to do something completely different, at quarterback.
0: No, I mean, it, it's very difficult to replicate this because so many things have happened. Obviously there's been turnover at the coaching position since he's been there, there's been turnover at the offensive coordinator position, uh, the other part of that, though, too, is obviously, you know, he's been there for so long, he's going to be a sixth year college football player this year. And that's not really something you can replicate necessarily. So they're going to have to find another path. Uh, they have some good underclassmen who I think have a chance to, to step up. You know, Tate Rodemaker is a redshirt junior this year. He's going to probably get his chance next year. A.J. Duffy is somebody that they like a lot, but it's not going to look the same as Jordan Travis. And uh, to answer your question about whether they need to maximize this year, I'd point to the last two transfer class that they brought in as proof that they certainly believe so.
1: So I'm going to run the, through the top 12 quarterbacks in the Heisman odds. And of those 12, there are four normies. There are five of the forever five. And there are three new guys. Drake May, normal going to be the second year starter at North Carolina. He's 12 to one. What does this mean for North Carolina?
0: (laughs) It means they're going to be looking for a new quarterback next year after Drake may goes number two in the NFL draft. So like, this is a little bit like North Carolina, congratulations on
1: this, but also like, they've got to try to be maximizing this in every way because you cannot. Again, I feel bad. North Carolina was in the ACC championship game last year. They were like an interesting kind of playoff dark horse, maybe then they stubbed their toe down the stretch and kind of screwed that up and showed they maybe weren't ready for it. If this was a 12 team playoff, would we be having North Carolina
0: conversations or do you think they're still short of that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think just because Drake May is that kind of player, like he was, Caleb was the best quarterback in the country last year, but if he wasn't, then Drake May was the best quarterback in the country last year. Like he is so freaking good. Um, the the big question that I have is is certainly you know with with Drake May they're going to be good. I, I don't know how much I love their offensive coaching staff now. I, I believe they brought in Chip Lindsey to run that offense. That's not the same thing to me. Uh, so you know we'll we'll kind of see what what happens there. But with Drake May on the roster, I think you feel good about it. Without Drake May, I don't know.
1: The next three guys are the three guys, three of the guys we've been talking about. Sam Hartman is thirteen to one in the Heisman odds. Michael Penix is fourteen to one. Bo Nix is fourteen to one. We've covered them ad nauseum. So let me ask you a different question for these three guys: Hartman, Penix, Nix—basically the same Heisman odds. If you were betting on one of them for the Heisman, who would you bet on right now?
0: Ooh, that's a really good question. So, I, I. Th- Think that I would lean. So, so let me rank them. I think I'd have mixed three. I, I think that Oregon. I like them. I don't love them. I think they're probably going to be worse than those two other teams. I I think I'd put Hartman at one, and the reason that I say that, that they're going to have, I think, a tougher pathway to actually making the playoff. But one. I think Sam Hartman, like he's been so good for so long and I don't think people have watched him. I think people are going to turn on Notre Dame games and be like, who is this kid who's played for, you know, all this sort of stuff. Um, But I I think that's ultimately, you know, it's going to I I think that ultimately people are going to look at Sam Hartman and be like, wow, this is incredible. And uh, they potentially have a chance to to win some big games. So I take Penix. I
1: would take Penix there because I think the path of he he put up gigantic stats last year. And I think Washington has a chance to make the playoff. And if they make the playoff, as we've covered many times, like playoff quarterback is not a necessity, but it's the best way to win the Heisman. And I think he has a chance to be a playoff quarterback who gets credit for being the reason Washington is a playoff team while putting up gigantic stats. And depending what the rest of the candidates look like, I kind of like Penix here because as even as you said Hartman's playoff path I think is more difficult if Sam Hartman beats Clemson USC in Ohio State and Notre Dame makes the playoff I, I he might be unanimous right I don't even know you could send one person to New York if we get to that point Shahan but I just think it's probably more difficult for Hartman to do that than maybe it is for Penix to get through a very difficult Pac-12 maybe with one lost you win the Pac-12 and now you're in the playoff so I'll take Penix there
0: no I mean and I think it would be a good pick that that was a really hard discussion. I mean, again, this is more also like my somewhat Oregon doubt, and I, you, you guys know my Bo Nix thing, man. Like, ugly Bo Nix is gonna rear his head at some point. So no, but I think, I think similar sort of deal, right? Like Washington's coming in with hype this year. Like I said, with Hartman, he's been re- you know Penix was really good last year, and I don't think enough people noticed, and so I think that maybe this year get a few more national TV games. Their schedule last year was kind of weak. And so this year they're going to have a few more sort of marquee matchups. And if he's able to win some of those games, if he's able to play in a Pac-12 title game, I, I mean, the pathway is definitely there for them to have a special season. So, I, I mean, any of these three bets I think would be really nice. And and by the way, you guys you guys need to watch Pac-12 football this year. It's going to be a lot of fun.
1: <laughs> yeah. So Jaden Daniels from LSU is just off of that. He's 20-1. to 1. Just running through a couple more of these Heisman odds. Again, the guy's kind of on the normal path. Quinn Ewers is sixteen to one at Texas. JJ McCarthy is twenty five to one at Michigan. And then the three guys who are the new guys, right? The the, the newest guys, sort of in the mix right now. Because there's no Bama quarterback really at, in the high in the Heisman odds right now because they don't know who it's going to be. So it's Carson Beckett, Georgia is twenty to one. Kyle McCord at Ohio State is twenty two to one. And then Drew Aller at Penn State is also 22 to one. So this is not a Heisman conversation, but we just sort of wanted to like talk about the different things there. Let me end us this Shahan though, by looking at the national title odds. And I think we could do this with the Heisman. We could do this with the national title. And again, group these quarterbacks and the programs with the quarterbacks by new guys, guys on a normal path who have done it before. And the forever guys. So I'll just tell you, as I look at anybody where I looked on the online book, there were 14 teams that were better than 50 to one odds to win the national title. So this is the, the next jump is 60 to one. So I stopped there. There are five of those 14 teams that have new quarterbacks. There are three that have normal quarterbacks who are returning on a normal path. And there are six forever guys, because there is a forever guy I'm throwing in here who's not in the forever five that I think fits it. So let me ask you this question. If they, because they do this sometimes with the betting, they have like groups. Like I remember, like it, used, it was in like for the NBA bets, like in the middle of the season, you could bet will the NBA title team be a first time NBA title winner or a team that's won it before? Right, You can, of course, bet Eastern Conference, Western Conference. You can bet a group. So if you're going to bet a national title group, here are the new guys. Georgia is plus 230 with Carson Beck. Bama is plus 550, 5.5 to 1 with whoever the Bama quarterback is. Ohio State plus 650. They're the top three with comma quarter Devin Brown. Clemson plus 2200. That's 22 to 1 with Cade Klubnik, who did start a little bit, but I still will call him a new guy. And then Penn State with Drew Aller is 25 to one. So that's a group of five. That's your new guys. The normal guys, normal path. Michigan is nine to one. That's the fourth best odds. That's with JJ McCarthy. USC and Caleb Williams, that's five. That's number five. That's 14 to one. They're the fifth best odds. Texas and Quinn Ewers, 25 to one, ninth best odds. So that's the group of three and the normals. The so forever guys, LSU and Jaden Daniels, 16 to 1. Jordan Travis in Florida State, 18 to 1. Sam Hartman in Notre Dame, 25 to 1. Here's the guy we're throwing in, Joe Milton at Tennessee. He's a sixth year guy. He's played at Michigan. He's played at Tennessee. He's not a forever guy with the passing yards to the extent of the other guys, but he has been in college football forever at two major programs. So he's kind of in between a forever guy and a new guy. They're 28 to 1. Oregon, Bo Nix, 35 to 1. Washington, Michael Penix, 45 to 1. If you were taking a group to win the national title, the three heavy favorites, the big dogs, they're all in the new quarterback group, Jahan. So would you be tempted to take the normal group or the forever group? Or are you just saying, what are you doing? I'm taking (laughs) George, Alabama, and Ohio
0: State, no matter what group they're in. (laughs) So let me say this. If I had a group of teams that was most going to overperform I, th- I think it's the forever group, right? I think the Florida state has a chance to be a top two, three seed in the college football playoff. I think that Washington could break into the field. You know, I, I think that we could be looking at that, but if I was going to say the team that's going to win the title, I, I think it still ends up being one of the new guys. I, I still think that it ends up being an, Ohio- I mean, Ohio state, like we've talked about the system that they have in place there. Like it, it's, not uh it's not fair to say that, you know, you can just plug and play guys, but you can kinda plug and play guys with with the infrastructure they've got. I am highly skeptical of Alabama this upcoming season. I'm extremely worried about them, but you know, you still you still take that bet, certainly. Georgia with Carson Beck, I think, could be even more dynamic passing the ball because he is somebody, while he hasn't had reps, he's been in that program for many, many years at this point. I think that they built a roster around him. So I I think, and and then you throw in like a Drew Aller, right? Like I think that that's a long bet for sure, but there's a chance. There's a chance that that just hits and it's awesome right away. And I'm not saying he's going to be Bryce Young by any means, but I don't know. You know, he could be really, really good right off the top. So I, I think you still have to bet on that top group, but I think this also makes this such an intriguing college football season because we are so used to these programs having returning guys of having the best quarterbacks for sure in college football, that's all going to change this upcoming year that that generation has aged out. And so I think this is a very good opportunity for a wild card to get into that mix with one of these forever five and, and an experienced quarterback. But it's hard for me to bet against all of the top options, probably being in that first group.
1: The normals are pretty good, too, because that's yes. Michigan and USC, yeah, and then you yeah. got to roll the dice on Texas. That like, I, let's keep in mind, I think Michigan and USC, we might be able to have conversations where we're grouping them together sure. a decent amount just because they've been good. But is it possible this is Jim Harbaugh's best college team ever, and this is Lincoln Riley's best college team ever? Maybe. Now, that's a high bar from some of the teams they had at Oklahoma. Go back to the 17 Oklahoma team that should have made the national title game, and we'll talk about it. But – Like, I think group, like, because a year ago, we would have said Ohio State, they're a normal. They're on the normal path with C.J. Stroud, year two starter. Bryce Young, year two starter. Stetson Bennett, year two starter. Those three programs a year ago were on the normal path. Now they're all on the new guy path, which, again, I know we've hit this. It's my number one way to break down this college football season, that the tier one teams have new guys and the tier two teams have a bunch of forever guys. And that is a huge contrast but we're trying to remind you of how to think about the contenders. And so I think from a quarterback perspective, and it's not only quarterbacks, and I'm not so sure, again, as long as we have a little bit of this COVID stuff, but even once the COVID year is gone for everybody, the idea with the portal that you might transfer and stick with NIL, if I'm going to be a sixth-round pick, maybe I'll stay, use up my last year of eligibility. I I just think we're going to have not as many, not quite as forever, forever guys but especially forever guys with a mid-career transfer where you established something somewhere else and then jumped a level and stayed for more than a year that might become more of a thing so if this is our quarterback shorthand are they a forever a normal or a new where's your program right now then we'll get a sense of what's working is there a trend is there a certain thing that a certain type of program has to be and i hope i hope we sketched out that idea a little bit here on this episode of the College Football Survivor Show. Good stuff planned the rest of the week, twice a week, both free, free. We, we love you guys being here. We know Shahan J. Haraja has some great stuff working at CBSSports.com. Shahan, you just wrote something about, right, the four new teams joining the Big 12 that I know is getting some reaction and then a positive way from people. What What do you want to tell people about that story as we direct people to it?
0: Yeah, this one's, this one's been one that's like a month in the works. So definitely check it out. So basically what I did is, you know, there's all this talk about teams moving up and moving to the power five level and obviously the payouts that come with it. But I kind of wanted to get down to the matter of like, what does that actually mean? to actually be a power five team to have that payouts what do you do with that money how do people look at you differently and uh so i really dug into kind of um you know i was i was talking to a source and he kind of called it the big 12 halo effect right and really the effect of, of moving up to the power five level so went real in depth there got to, to have some great conversations with people make sure and check it out at cbsports.com. he is shahan Jeharaja. i'm doug Maurice
1: and that was the college football survivor show the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.